Well, back in the fall, the lower mainland and social media were taken over by the great rainbow. Now, if you didn't see it yourself, you probably saw tons of photos of it or maybe heard about it from family and friends, but it truly was amazing. I remember having dinner with our family and getting messages from four different people in four different cities asking, have you seen the rainbow outside? So like many other people, we got it from the table, went outside, and it truly was stunning. The rainbow was bigger and brighter than any other rainbow I've seen before. But what was more amazing than the rainbow itself was what it did to people. You could see people on the streets stopping what they were doing, and everyone was looking at the sky. People who were driving pulled over their cars to get out and take pictures and, and take in this grand sight that no one had ever seen before. It was amazing to see people in our neighborhood with this collective gaze toward the sky. The rainbow had captured our attention. You know, every single day, there are a ton of things that ask for our attention and focus. Whether it's the media that we consume every day, whether it's uh, the responsibilities that we have on our plate, the busy schedules that we have to maintain, it seems like every moment of every day, there's something or someone that says, focus your attention on me. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture that invites us to take a step back and to consider the things that we give our attention to. And to ask the question, is what is demanding our attention leading us towards life or not? Is it leading us towards life or not? Many years ago, a follower of Jesus named Paul wrote a letter to a small church community in Colossae. And he writes this letter to help the, the community there reshape their faith and their thinking. And after giving a, a clear picture of who Jesus is and speaking of his death, he then in chapter 3 shifts gears and starts giving the implications for Jesus' death and resurrection. In chapter 3, he says these words, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Amen. Well, today we're continuing our sermon series exploring the book of Colossians in the New Testament. And Colossians is this book that gives a picture of what it means to live as people in light of the resurrection of Jesus in light of God making all things new, including us. And in these four verses, Paul makes this distinction between two different realities. He speaks about things that are above, or as we're going to call them, heavenly things, even though he doesn't use that word, but things that are above. And then he speaks about earthly things, or, or things that you might describe as being below. And he says that if you have to give your attention to one of these two realities, 10 times out of 10, choose those things above. And so for a few moments, we're going to explore these two different realities with the hopes of getting clarity on what Paul is trying to communicate with us. So let's begin by looking at earthly things. Now, right off the bat, this is a strange term. I don't know about you, but I don't have earthly things in my regular vocabulary. Maybe you do. But it's a, it's a strange thing that Paul refers to. And so what does it mean? Well, a simple definition of an earthly thing is any place that we find our identity in other than Christ. It can encompass a, a wide range of things, but it's any place that we find our identity in other than Christ. 
In verse two, Paul says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Now, he's not saying that the earth is bad or that we, we shouldn't focus on life here. If you remember from chapter one, it's, it's by and for Jesus that this earth and material world was created. And so we celebrate the good earth that God has given us. But what he is saying is that there is a, a sense in which we can become so focused in on life in the here and now that we lose perspective on the larger story that we're a part of. There was an article in a San Francisco newspaper that tells the story of a young man who is walking down a sidewalk. And as he's walking, he comes across a $5 bill. And as he picks it up with delight, he commits himself to always walking with his head towards the ground with the hopes of discovering more money. And the article goes on to say that over the years, he accumulated a, a bunch of stuff. He accumulated over 29,000 buttons, over 54,000 pins, 12 cents, and a bent back. But he also lost something. The glory of sunlight, the radiance of the stars, the smiles of friends, and the freshness of blue skies. While we may not be walking around with our heads towards the sidewalk, there is a sense in which we get consumed by life. Not that life is insignificant or doesn't matter. God cares about the things that we care about. But the danger and the caution that Paul offers us is that so often the things that overwhelm us and consume us in life are the things that we find our identity in. Maybe we find our identity in our work. And so when work becomes difficult or we get laid off from our job, all of a sudden we're unsure of what we have to offer to the world. Or maybe we find our identity in our skill or our intellect. And so when we encounter health challenges or we begin to age, all of a sudden we're unsure of, of, of how we fit into the, the larger world. Or maybe we find our identity in, our, in a relationship. And when that relationship comes to an end, we're devastated and crushed. Not because those things aren't good, but because we weren't ultimately made for those things. And this is the same struggle that the Colossians were up against. They had misplaced their identity. They lost perspective on who they were. They were being tempted to begin worshiping other gods and to, to engage in cultural practices to make them more acceptable to each other and to God. And Paul is saying, hold perspective. Take a step back and remember whose you are and who you are. Don't get so caught up on, on the earthly things, but focus your attention on things above. In his famous Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And he says this to drive home the point that what you value is what you focus on. What you deem as ultimately worthy is what you give yourself to. And the danger for us is that if we give our, ourselves or we focus on the, the wrong thing or we misplace our identity, we'll find ourselves missing out on becoming the people that God created us to become. You know, if you've ever seen the, the Lord of the Rings, there's this character named Gollum. And Gollum is this creepy, scary-looking character who once used to be a hobbit. But his fascination with his ring and his grasping and clinging for the ring changes him. That inward, drives, that inward drive for the ring has this outward effect, and it distorts him to the point where he's unrecognizable. And I resonate with Gollum's story because while I'm, I'm not a, a fictional hobbit, I resonate with that idea of a, of a misplaced drive. 
You see, for most of my life, one of the things I've struggled with is wanting other people's acceptance. For as long as I can remember, I've just wanted people to, to like me and accept me. And it's manifested itself in different ways. And I came to this realization a number of years ago when I was working full time as well as studying. And I was doing everything in my power to get my colleagues and classmates to notice me by staying up late and, and trying to get the best marks, by working overtime and, and outworking everyone else. And I was so unaware of how this misplaced drive was, was damaging me until I got shingles. Now, if you've ever had shingles, it's this painful, painful virus that you get. And it's often caused by your body being under a tremendous amount of stress. And I remember going to the doctor and the doctor looking at me and he said, this is your body's way of telling you, you need to refocus. Like Gollum, I had misplaced where my identity was to be found and had a negative effect on my body. And what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount and what Paul is saying in Colossians 3 is what gets your attention gets you. What gets your attention gets you. Now that might sound intense and, and maybe a bit uh, um, uh, exaggerated, but there's a sense in which if we find ourselves giving our attention or, or giving our heart to anything other than the one we were made for, we'll find ourselves becoming what we were never intended to become. You are what you focus on. And Paul's encouragement to the Colossians and to us here today is to hold perspective, to, to not get so caught up on, on things that, as he describes as earthly things, but to take a step back and to set our hearts and minds on things above. Now, he doesn't use the word heavenly things, but we're gonna use the, the phrase heavenly things to describe things above. And so what, are, what does that mean? What are heavenly things? Now, again, here's another strange phrase that I'm sure most of us don't have in our vocabulary. Our heavenly things, you know, where we just daydream about angels bouncing around on fluffy clouds, <laughs> maybe. But I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. He says in uh, verse number uh, one, since then you have been raised with Christ, Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then he repeats himself when he says, set your mind on things above. If earthly things are where we find our identity in anything other than Christ, then to focus on things above is to focus on our identity being in Christ. It's the opposite. He says, set your hearts and minds on where your identity is ultimately found in Christ. Now that might sound kind of lofty and vague. Like what does it actually look like? If you've ever been to the, the top of Grouse Mountain or to one of the peaks of Seymour, then you know on a clear day what a, a beautiful view you have of the place that we call home. And for me, being on top of a, a mountain is a, a good reminder of how small my life is in comparison to the, the larger story. When I get a, a view like this, for me, it reminds me that God is holding so much in his capable hands that the, the frustrations, the discomfort, and the worries, the very real worries of my life are in very capable and strong hands. And although my situation or the, the circumstance I find myself in might not change immediately, there's this inner shift when I have perspective on the larger world. And Paul is saying, take a step back, focus your hearts on things above. Now, when you hear that, that line, focus on things above, you might be thinking, well, does Paul want me to go outside and just stare at the sky all day long? Maybe, no, I'm joking, you can do that. Maybe that's helpful to you. But these words of, of set your hearts, the word set can be described as a, as a search or a seeking or to get to the bottom of. And he says, don't give up 
Don't stop searching. Don't stop finding where your identity is ultimately, where your identity is ultimately kept in the person of Christ. He goes on in verse three to say, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That word hidden can, can also be described as to be safe, to be concealed, to be, to be secure. And I don't know about you, but there are times where my life feels very out of control and, and out of my hands. And the encouragement that Paul is reminding us is that if our life is in Christ, then our life is hidden, it's safe, it's secure, it's in the very hands of God himself. He uses the language of, of us being raised with Christ. He says, we've not only died with Christ, but we've been raised with Christ. And it's this language of, of beautiful intimacy that we share with our maker. That if our lives are, are in Jesus, we share in his death and his resurrection, that we are mysteriously connected with him by his spirit. In the Chronicles of, of Narnia, it's a, a fictional series written by the, the great writer C.S. Lewis. And in The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, he tells the story of a group of children who are relocated from one home to another. And as they're in this new home, they discover a large wardrobe. And this wardrobe isn't any other regular wardrobe, but it's actually a, a portal, a gateway into the, the mythical land of Narnia. And Narnia is a scary but beautiful place where there's all sorts of different characters and creatures, and where it's ruled by Aslan, the great lion, who represents the Christ figure. And although the, the, the world of Narnia is scary and overwhelming, the kids discover that this other world of Narnia is running parallel to their own world. And their curiosity and their desire to find out more brings them back to the wardrobe time and time again. They keep venturing out into Narnia, to this other world that's taking place simultaneously to theirs. And in some ways, when Paul says, set your hearts on things above, he's not necessarily talking about a, a directional gaze, but he's saying, become aware of the other reality that's taking place. Become aware to the, the invisible reality that's happening simultaneously to the visible world. The caution is that for so many of us, we get so consumed with the life that's in front of us. We get focused on the here and now. And Paul is saying, there's more happening than you can see. Tune in to that good news. You know, before dating my, uh, my wife, Amber, we were friends first. And I remember noticing how my attention and my focus shifted uh, when I started to have feelings for her. She would message me, and all of a sudden I noticed that I was becoming more aware of her messages and, and, um, uh, and responding to her messages. She would text me and I would text back and then I would look at my phone every 30 seconds just to, to see if she was replying. And whenever we were, I was hanging out with friends and she entered into the room, I was always keenly aware of her presence, mainly because I didn't want to embarrass myself by saying or, or doing something ridiculous. There was a sense in which as my affection for her grew, my attention and my focus for her grew as well. You know, when you love someone and you care about them, that love is an is a internal reality, but it gets expressed in physical ways, whether that's through verbalizing it, by offering gifts or, 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 or some other act. Love is not just kept inside, but it's expressed. And, and Paul is saying, come back to your first love. Come back to the one where you're, who, in whom your identity is ultimately found. Fix your eyes on the person of Christ. Don't focus on, on things below, but focus on things above. Now, if you're like me and you, you read these words from Paul, 
you might be asking yourself the question, that's all good and well, but, but how do I live this out? What does this look like for my life? How do we live into Paul's encouragement? Well, let me offer maybe two suggestions of, of how we can uh, take Paul's words to heart. As I mentioned, one of the things that Paul refers to over and over again is this idea of us sharing in Christ's death and his resurrection. And one of the closest ways that we get to embody this reality of, of tuning in to the reality of things above is in baptism. When a person gets baptized and they are submerged fully into the water, it's this act of joining with Christ. When a person is emerged uh, into the water or submerged into the water, it's their way of publicly declaring to themselves, to the world, and to God himself that the part of Alvin being Lord of his life is no more. That I'm no longer God of my own world. And when the person emerges out of the water, they, they step into this new reality. They are raised with Christ and they step into what it means to be people and children of God. Baptism is one of the most practical ways that we refix our attention and our gaze on things above. Last Easter, I had the privilege of baptizing Tanya, who's a part of our 10th community. And she offers these words as a part of her baptism story. She writes, My journey to follow Jesus started after my sister passed away two years ago. And in the months after my sister passed away, I lost four other close loved ones. After those losses, I was burdened with grief, sadness, and despair, which compounded my mental health struggles. I had several questions, many at the spiritual level, and my search brought me to 10th, where I participated in the Alpha course. My new spiritual journey at Alpha led me towards getting baptized. And baptism symbolized for me a new life in Christ. I wanted to declare my commitment to a life with Jesus, and I had full faith in him. It's been such a blessing having Jesus in my life. I no longer feel alone because he is always by my side and knowing this comforts me. Overall, I feel less burdened and having my relationship with Christ has helped me to let go of the heavy weight on my shoulders. Before starting this spiritual journey, I was grief stricken and lost, but getting to know Christ in the last two years and welcoming him into my life has given me strength, courage, and hope. Tanya's story is a powerful one of transformation, but it's rooted and grounded in the person of Christ. And so for you here today, if you have committed yourself to Jesus, but you've yet to take to the waters of baptism, then maybe the encouragement for you is to, to reach out to myself or Abraham uh, and to, to take that next step to consider what baptism would look like for your story. And if you have already been baptized, then Paul's encouragement to you would be, be the type of person who daily remembers your baptism story. That when you wake up every moment of every day, you tune into the, the public declaration that you made, committing yourself and reminding yourself of where your identity is ultimately kept. That's the first suggestion. Here's the, the second way that I think we can live into Paul's encouragement. One of the spiritual practices that's been most life-giving to me along with scripture and prayer has been through that, the practice of breathing. Now, I know that might sound a little bit different, but stay with me. I remember a, a number of uh, years ago, waking up one morning and feeling a, a deep sense of, of anxiety and just worry and, and feeling quite just off and, and flustered. And as I sat in the quiet of the morning on the edge of my couch, I felt God inviting me to, to just start breathing, 
to take some deep breaths in through my nose and out through my mouth. Now, I know that breathing and, you know, taking some deep breaths in is a, is a natural way for us to, to calm ourselves down when we're overwhelmed. But I felt God was inviting me not to just breathe for the sake of calming down, but breathe for the, for the purpose of encountering his presence. And as I started to, to inhale deeply and exhale deeply, there's a sense in which I became aware of even more so of God's presence. You see, I came to be aware of the fact that the breath in my lungs is a gift, that the life I have even right now in this moment is nothing but a grace of God, that the oxygen that fills our lungs each moment of every day is not of our own doing, but it's handed to us by our maker. And for me, when I tune into this reality that my breath is not my own, that life is a gift, somehow all of a sudden I'm reminded of where my identity and where hope and where life is ultimately found. For you here today, maybe the, the work of uh, sacred breathing might be something that you incorporate into your story. Where at your work, in your school, or at home, you pause to find moments to breathe. Not for the sake of calming yourself down, although that might help, but for the sake of coming in tune with the gift that God has offered you in this thing called life. Baptism and breath. I think these are some of the ways that we can live out Paul's encouragement to us. As you think about Paul's words to you to set your heart and mind on things above, what would that look like in your story? What would it look like for you to find practices to engage in, to, to be the type of person to hold the larger perspective of faith? Not out of guilt or, or obligation or because you have to, but because it tunes you into this other reality. You know, for most of my, my spiritual journey, I found things like reading the scriptures and prayer really challenging because for so many years, I saw it as a chore. I saw it as something I had to do to get God's approval and to get his attention on me. But one of the things God's spirit has been teaching me is that this book, times of prayer, and even this act of coming together in worship are all ways for us to, in some ways, come back to the wardrobe, for us to, to awaken ourselves to this other reality that's taking place to remind ourselves of where our lives are ultimately connected, hidden with Christ in God. As you consider Paul's words to you, what would that look like for you? Let me close with this quote from a, an author named Joni Erickson Tata, who in her book, Heaven, Your Real Home, writes these words. She says, when a Christian realizes their citizenship is in heaven, they begin acting as a responsible citizen of earth. They invest wisely in relationships because they know they are eternal. Their conversations, goals, and motives become pure and honest because they realize these will have a bearing on everlasting reward. They give generously of time, money, and talent because they're laying up treasure for eternity. They spread the good news of Christ because they long to fill heaven's ranks with friends and neighbors. All this serves a pilgrim well, not only in heaven, but on earth, for it serves everyone around them. Joni's words are this great encouragement that when we fix our eyes on things above, it's not for the sake of just tuning into some, some grand supernatural experience, but it has implications for how we live right here and right now. That as we set our hearts and minds on things above, we start living into what it means to be the new creation, the new humanity, the people of God. And so may all of us here today fix our hearts and our minds on the person of Christ 
And as we do so, maybe we become awakened to the reality of our life being hidden with Christ in God. Would you pray with me? In the quietness of this moment, wherever you are, I invite you to just to breathe, to take a few deep breaths. And as you breathe, to consider the the gift of grace that you are offered in this moment. That your ability to live, your ability to to breathe, to have breath in your lungs is nothing but an act of grace given to you by your maker. God, in a world where so much is demanding our attention and our focus, by your spirit, would you bring us back to where our identity is ultimately held in you, Christ. When we feel distracted, when we're overwhelmed, when we're heavy burdened, may our eyes, our hearts, and our minds focus upward towards you. And in doing so, may we recognize who we are and whose we are. We ask in your name, Christ. Amen.